sad thing about the, the Val like, and Peter's podcast. Like, what was 40k like? stats. 40k. So the sad thing is, is that I listened to it and was entertained, but I was mad the whole time. I was like, these guys fucking show sucks. Like, like I just didn't like the, that, the way that they're delivering it. Wow, that frustrated me, and I was like, you know, like I don't, I don't think that either of those guys listen to our show. But if they do, I'm not, I'm not one to just be like, hey, stop doing like what you think is cool, because like you probably like the Raptors and stuff too, like <laughs> cash money, <laughs> yeah, cash money, yeah. He absolutely likes the Raptors. There's no doubt in that. But he, he was wearing his visor upside down, like with his cash money hammer oh basketball jersey. I, I feel like that's gotta be that's gotta be a persona he's putting out there. Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger and the Falcon. Do some jumping jacks, some squats, some deep lunges, throw your fists in the air, perhaps wave them around like you just don't care. Stat Center is back, baby. The Vanguard Grand Series takes its name seriously as it leads the way into tournament play in a new edition and a brand new world. And it may be the end of the world as we know it, but Adelaide felt fine. So we head to South Australia for the Adelaide GT. It's good to be back. Let's cross our fingers it stays this way. Steve, tell them what this show is. This is 40K Stat Center. You know, it's been a while since anyone's heard us talking, but... We've been talking to each other quite a bit lately. How have you been since, um, I guess I was supposed to be there this morning, since this morning, we'll say? Uh, pretty tired. Uh, I've had a headache all day. Can't, mm-hmm. can't say that um, I super enjoy waking up at uh, 4.30 in the morning to uh, record uh, with the Honest Wargamer, um, but I love the like hour and a half when I'm doing it. I just regret every moment afterwards. Yeah, for those of you in the audience who who aren't aware what uh, the Falcon and yours truly have been up to for about the last five months, uh, a dear friend of ours, Robert Symes, um, uh, local crank to the Nottingham area, and uh, basically constantly has been streaming since uh, the start of COVID-19. He's on day about 140? Where is he now? Yep, day 140 was today. Wow. 140 days straight. And I think somewhere around 15 or 20, uh, Pete and I decided that this guy probably needed help and that we would try and talk to him on a weekly basis on Tuesdays. Yeah, because like their 40K content is pretty minimal. He's really into the Age of Sigmar scene. He does have Tom Layton come on occasionally and talk 40K. But I mean, what does that guy even know? (laughs) He knows how to make his hair stand up on end, I suppose. I, I guess that's true. Uh, he knows how to spread falsehoods about the ITC. He knows uh, oh. Oh, how to paint going... a stompa really slowly. Uh, anyway, a couple different things. <laughs> Some deep cuts there. He was my roommate. He was my roommate yeah. at the ITC. It's okay. You know, we've heard each other sleep. So we've done the 40K adjacent show, as we call it now, for, I don't know, several months. Um, it's a good time. We sometimes talk about 40K, uh, but more often than not, we talk about um, what we did in the early aughts during the Bush administration. <laughs> there are some references to the Bush administration, which is only funny in retrospect. Um, well, also, uh, Pete, you've started reading to the blind at night. Yes. So uh, on Monday nights at uh, 9.30 PST, I go on Twitch and I just read a short story or two from one of my books, something in my collection, um, all 40K related. Just you know, keep people company, and the ones of uh, listeners that I have seem to enjoy it, so I'll keep it up. I have fallen asleep to you at least once or twice. It's delightful. Check them out on Twitch. 
Um, and then on top of that, the Frontline Gaming Network, in our absence, has grown quite a lot. So if you haven't heard from us before, you have no idea who we are or what we're doing. This is 40K Stat Center. We do uh, tournament news and coverage when tournaments are in session. Since Frontline Gaming uh, has blown up, since COVID started somehow, I guess that's because of Ninth Edition, uh, we've had a lot of audience members, and you maybe don't know us or, or what we do, but we're going to try and cover every grand tournament and major uh, as they come every week. And uh, we had been doing that for almost a year when, when COVID started. And uh, now, 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 maybe, just maybe, some tournaments have started to come back. How do you feel about that, Pete? I'm I'm feeling okay about it. I mean, when we stopped recording back in March, not counting our chat center episode, um, you know, it, it felt like the right thing to do. Um, COVID was really starting to spark real hard in uh, a lot of major areas. Many events were canceling. And um, we were getting a lot of, of messages from people that were talking about, you know, how they still wanted to run their event. And it just, in some cases, wasn't safe. So it felt like the right thing to do to kind of stop talking, see what where everything panned out. Um, in our absence, there was maybe only one or two, three events tops that actually hit like a GT or major status. Uh, I think there were no majors um, because you know, it became such a big deal. Everything canceled out. Um, but with the launch of ninth uh -huh. and um, states and countries kind of developing far more in-depth um, COVID handling um regulations uh -huh. um we're starting to see them again so we had an event last week um the wizards asylum gt which we don't have anybody on for but i know with their uh, dan salmons who won um is has done a couple of interviews that that was like a launch week uh, gt um with you know masks and um spacing etc etc uh -huh. and i mean this week we've got three we've got two events recovering in depth and we'll tell you where to go to listen uh to talk about the third not as good one <laughs> um, Canadian content as well, so uh, that, that's that's part of it. And so I think one of the reasons we went off the air, I think, also is one of the cool things about the show is that we do get to introduce you to players who have had tournament success, made it to that top table, or did something unique in an event. And we didn't really want to provide an incentive for people to go out there and risk themselves in order to, A, plan tournaments, because, you know, some things are more important than Warhammer. And B, we just didn't want to encourage uh, reckless behavior. That all being said, we're still going to try and cover uh, tournaments that are operating responsibly in this environment. COVID-19 has not gone anywhere, as you are all very well aware. And in some places, it's as resurgent as ever. Uh, so we definitely want to try and handle this as carefully as we can. Uh, when we discuss this with the TOs, uh, we've been so far very impressed with the uh, you know level of detail and, uh, and attention that's been paid to player safety and how the players have been keeping each other safe. So let's keep doing that, everybody, because it does seem like it's possible to play 40K even though uh, there's this little pandemic going on. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect a super major anytime in the near future, but I think you can get 30 or 40 guys together and girls in the right scenario if you follow the right uh, you know, health procedures and, and actually have a good time of it. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, another thing about the Frontline Gaming Network before we uh, depart here is that it seems to have gotten a little bit, little bit bigger, a little more crowded in the lineup. Yeah, yeah. They've seemed to have added a couple of brand new folks while we were gone, probably to fill that gaping hole that was left with, um, you know, our talent having dissipated gaping uh, so quickly. I love that word. <laughs> gaping hole. Mm. Mm. Just yeah, that's good content. Yep. PG-13. 
Uh, yes, that's right. I believe we were uh, trying to refer to The Art of War Down Under, uh, hosted by our dear friend and uh, 40K Stat Center, the Ocho host, uh, Mr. Adam Camilleri. Uh, he's mm-hmm. doing something similar but different. Same, same, yeah. but different to uh, Same, Art same, of War. but different. He's uh, He is kind of uh, interviewing top players, going over lists, concepts, um, you know, just doing what a podcaster does. Um, the great thing about Adam is he has become the new you. Um, Mm -hmm. and is now essentially on every podcast, um, in 40 K. Well, I've noticed, Um, I've noticed. So, I mean, if, if anybody has listened to the latest chapter tactics episode, he was on that as well, going over podcast content. I'll note that I didn't get invited. I didn't get invited. Well, well, you know, um, I'm not Pablo, so I won't speak for him, but I will say that um, something you haven't brought up, uh, about what happened in our absence was probably the most important thing Mm -hmm. is, uh, there's a little Valfredo Jr. running around. Well, I don't know if he's running yet. Um, a little early, but nope, just peeing, pooping and vomiting on things, which has been very entertaining. We have a delightful young man who's entered our lives here at the Heffel household and, uh, no, it's actually been super awesome. And he is an absolute uh, joy, uh, by the looks of things, at least, um, I don't know wh- how it is that, you know, people like you and Pablo can make such, like, adorable little baby children. But you did it, and uh, I'm super proud of you guys. So. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, it, it took a team of experts and scientists, but we got there, and yeah. uh, we were very, very pleased. Um, and then, uh, in addition to that, we've got a show for you today. We do. So, um, is there anything else we want to talk about, or do we want to leave it to the la- end of the show? Well, we haven't quite hit a chapter tax- tactic scene uh, intro yet. We would still have to talk for another 10 minutes, so perhaps we'll ease our way into it, and uh, we'll do the second half of the intro as an outro at the end. Sounds good. Let's kick it. Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCPTO app to organize events. For just about any tabletop game system, download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features available for iOS and Android. BestCoastPairings.com. Competitive events. Easier. For our first event, after returning from our self-imposed hiatus, we head to the gorgeous place that is Pool in Dorset, United Kingdom. As the Pool Tourist Association states, it's a maritime experience complete with luxurious golden sands, ancient history, and a backdrop of the Jurassic Coast. But have We have sandy beaches. <laughs> so... Without further ado, I think we really need to um, say a little bit about the Vanguard Tactics Grand Series mm-hmm. and this kind of jewel um, that has become uh, like the center of everything Stephen Box exists for. Whoa. Um, you mean it's not banana hammocks? Well, I believe that's a Dayton Obrey thing. Um, Stephen just likes to go around shirtless, if I'm not mistaken. Or, or, or <laughs> if I'm not the, mistaken, the tanks. If I'm not mistaken, you have not gone back in time on his Facebook profile. <laughs> no, I definitely have not. Um, but I th- uh, the Vanguard Grand Series is a, a new set of events uh, being run by the Vanguard Tactics crew headed up by Stephen Box. And um, their goal, as far as I understand it, is to uh, create these COVID-safe um, grand tournaments that anybody can attend. That seems pretty good. Like, anybody? 
Why was that? Any, why was that specified? Well, you know, I don't know. I don't know why. I'm not. I'm not them. What do you want me to say? <laughs> All right. Well, that's very good. Um, so I know uh, pre-show you were talking about how they had uh, they had taken a lot of precautions uh, to uh, to make sure this this event went off without a hitch. Yeah. So um, I mean, as we've uh, kind of brought up, there's a number of places where COVID is still you know growing or hasn't really ever hit that um, that peak that everybody kind of hoped for. Um, the UK has been up and down with issues uh, when it comes to COVID. So it it was um, something that uh, Stephen really took to heart when he tried to uh, build out this tournament series. Um, and he really went the extra mile. Uh, we interviewed him uh, for this and he gave us uh, you know, a pretty de- uh, decent uh, breakdown of, of uh, some of the struggles. He also released on uh, the Vanguard Tactics um, YouTube channel. A video where they went through like all the the project meetings they had to have with government officials, um, etc., uh, to to make this like a safe environment. Um, examples being uh, they had sanitation stations set up within the venue. Um, there were marked out areas to ensure that while you were playing the game, you always managed to maintain six foot distance from your opponent. Masks were mandatory. Um, and they had a very hard cap on the number of people that were even allowed in the uh, the venue um, at, at 30 people. So um, Stephen and the other Vanguard Tactics crew who at, at initially hadn't been planning on playing in the event um, actually did because it was the only way to make sure they still had judges, etc., was if everyone took part. All right, well, that's great to hear that Mr. Box uh, took everything so seriously. We, of course, have a really nice uh, interview with him uh, coming up right now. Uh, Stephen Box, again, the uh, proprietor and lead content creator of Vanguard Tactics. You can find him on YouTube. I believe he has a podcast now. Yeah, the Competitive like 40K podcast. How did, no one, how did you just get that? I mean... No one had that? When you're, when you're a master of analytics, um, sometimes you just think of the simplest thing and realize that that's the first thing someone's going to Google search for when they have no idea what to do in a game. And he nailed it. So he probably already has the most popular podcast uh, on the internet uh, about competitive 40k. So uh, why don't we kick it over to him? Hey guys, thanks so much for having me back on the show. Um, it's been a while, and first of all, so glad that you guys are putting the show back on. As 40k stats has been sorely missed, I think, by the community. Uh, so well done on getting the show back on the road. But yeah, for me at Vanguard Tactics, um, it's been a very, very busy time through this sort of coronavirus. Uh, times I went live for 80 days straight um, over on my YouTube channel to hopefully keep the community that you know enjoy my channel kind of going and keeping their spirits up and obviously we've had the launch of ninth edition so yeah it's been very very crazy and just to add a little bit more pressure on obviously I decided to run an event with Foreground and Foreground are a publishing company here in the UK that really specialize in all different types of wargaming terrain Um, so it was their event I helped run and organize and promote the event, you know, throughout and obviously on the day. And we held that at a local gaming store called Entoyment. Uh, So it was kind of our combined efforts to really make sure that this event went ahead. And our biggest thing from the offset was to make sure that, you know, we created a really uh, fun and immersive competitive game uh, environment where, you know, it embodied everything that we stand for at Vanguard Tactics, which is all about sportsmanship and fair play, whilst obviously every competitor giving it their absolute best. So we really wanted to support that with incredible terrain, mats, 
Um, we wanted to make sure that every single player left with something. Um, and I'll go into some of those things. We had incredible prize support, trophies, you name it. We really wanted to make this a premier event. And um, yeah, I really feel like we did that, but it has certainly been a stressful one in the lead up. Um, we decided from the offset that we would do this with the sort of local council um, approval and for them to be fully aware of what we were doing and we wanted to work with the local council uh, to make sure that you know we did absolutely everything by the book and if not and if they didn't approve then the event was not to go ahead so we certainly set the bar extremely high but we wanted every single person that came to feel completely safe um, and that was you know first of all our biggest priority amongst you know the rest of things so yeah, it was, it's been a stressful one, but we did a 30-player event and every single member of staff and referee also played because that was one of the safety precautions that we put in place was a 30-maximum player um, or person venue. Um, and we did that through a number of different reasons. Um, number one is one of the legislations here in the UK just helped us make sure that this event could actually happen. Um, although we are an organized event and we are run for a business and we have so many procedures in place, we could have possibly took it above the 30, but we decided that based on the uh, floor space and based on the floor plan with the amount of tables we could fit in, you know, making sure we had two meters between tables and meter between players, um, at the very, very least that is, then, you know, 30 was the maximum. So that was why there was no stream because literally every organizer in breath also played. Um, and some of the things that we did were, you know, really quite extensive. We had uh, PPE, uh, so personal protective equipment for absolutely every single person. They got a different pack on e for each day. So they had, for example, face visors, face masks, hand sanitizer. Every single player was given a set of Chessex dice and also a dice tray to use. We had brand new terrain and mats. We had temperature checks at the door. We used the NHS track and trace system both days. Uh, we had a health and safety briefing for staff and players and um, a 30 minute long registration to ensure that all safety procedures were being adhered to. We had a referee for every six players, which meant that referees weren't walking around. Players didn't have to walk over, you know, throughout the entire you know, venue to make sure they could try and grab a, a referee. So all the time to basically reduce the risk, to reduce the amount of people crossing paths. Uh, we have an extremely detailed player pack outlining absolutely everything. We had a one-way system throughout the venue. We had to exit players out of the hall after they played and entered them in two by two before their next uh, round. Uh, so they could go to their old table, grab their models, take it to the new table again to stop people crossing over. Face masks were mandatory for everyone. We had face visors, which were optional. Um, and we also had a yellow and red card system uh, that ensured that this was different to the regular code of conduct that we've used in the past for the ITC, uh, because if there was any breach of this, then there would be a yellow red card system and people would be removed from the venue. Um, but luckily, everybody really got the spirit of it and it was really kind of taken upon each and every one of the players to make sure that the safety was not only there for themselves but also for everyone that attended. We didn't have to give anyone a warning, yellow card or anything, and it was you know absolutely perfect. And I think a few of the people were a little bit worried, like oh you know is there still going to be the same level of social? But there was. 
uh, we had a really good outdoor space and the, the sun was shining so everybody could go outside, take their face masks off when they were outside um, because the rules are slightly different. And again, we had the environmental health organization for the local council, you know, work with us and go through absolutely all of our uh, risk assessments that we'd put together, you know, helped us with the legislations to make sure that we did absolutely everything by the book. We ticked all their boxes to make sure this event went ahead. We even offered people full refunds right up until they entered the building if they weren't happy with anything that we'd laid out or didn't feel safe, but we didn't get a single dropout and we actually had a waiting list. So I was extremely proud of that and yet the event was extremely successful. So yeah, the feedback's been great and you know everybody loved the terrain, they really enjoyed it and we decided to do a six round tournament Although it's quite un uncommon here in the UK, I think it might have been one of the first ever six uh, round ones. Um, but we just wanted to play six games in ninth edition. We just want to get used to the rules. So we weren't too worried about, um, you know, what would happen if we had somebody had a loss and they still won the event. We weren't worried. We just wanted, you know, six good quality games in ninth edition, which we got in. Every single player got to five rounds. In the first two rounds, we did three hour rounds. And in the last four, we did two and a half just to help people in those early games get through it. And we did all the referees that finished early went round to make sure that everybody did get to five rounds and, you know, really making sure that everybody played the best that they possibly could. Um, but yeah, absolutely no issues whatsoever. The venue was fantastic, really accommodating of us in our rules. And again, what the local authority had to say. So we really did um, as a collective group of people, a really good job, I feel. Um, and the professional team that we had. We also brought in some external people, some, um, one of the guys, Matt, who is on the Vanguard Tactics um, Academy, and one of my students actually has run the Quidditch World Cup with 35,000 people. So he was um, an absolute rock throughout this entire process, he, as he actually works with COVID legislations in his job. Um, so having somebody like that on the team was absolutely fantastic. Now, in terms of my thoughts on ninth in the early days, like probably most people, um, adjusting to change was difficult. I absolutely loved the ITC, so change was hard. Um, and I wasn't a massive fan of, um, you know, the primary mission, for example, as I've missed the kill, kill more aspect. But do you know what? The more I've played it, the more I've come to enjoy it. And the reason why I decided to go with exactly what um, Games Workshop have put out because I want to give them my full support and I really like the changes that they've made You know, I really like the new deployment style. It's really added some new depth and tactics and strategies in those um, Elements of deployment and kind of thinking ahead, you know generating that game plan the list design slightly different now So it really has added something there, which you know, I did miss about the whole army deployment um, but yeah, the missions really support maneuverability and durability and actually now witnessing 30 games um, playing six myself is really, um, I suppose, taking my knowledge of the game to that kind of next level, which is exactly why we wanted to run this event. Um, and, you know, you really need to make sure that terrain is that third player to ensure that there's you know, really good interactions between gunline combat armies, creating good firing lanes and all that kind of stuff. So terrain is an absolute must in this new edition. Um, for example, combat works very different now. Um, it's all about taking opponents off an objective rather than just outright trying to destroy them. Um, and in the future, you know, I'd like to see some more unique secondaries that, you know, maybe give a little bit more reward for killing, perhaps. That's what I'd kind of like to see. Um, I'd like to see there to be 
some armies or factions have their own uh, which they can kind of more maybe go-tos where there's then you're picking based on your opponent because at the moment there are some armies that really hemorrhage secondaries um in some that really you know you do struggle to pick against so i'd like to see a, you know kind of more secondaries added that it's easier for you to pick against them and then also easier for you to pick based on how your army typically plays um and my only real concern is in these early days seeing like kind of list archetypes pop up time and time again we had a lot of custode players as they do you know have good maneuverability and great durability and i hope that we still see great variety which actually our event did have we i think we had literally every faction apart from uh, potentially gene stealer cult in nids but i think all the others were represented at least once and in a 30-man event that was pretty good so guys thanks so much for having me on once again um, and our plan is to now roll out more Vanguard Tactics series events across the UK and potentially even around the world as as this kind of year unfolds. So um, yeah, watch this space and all news will be over on the Vanguard Tactics Facebook page or through our website, which is www.vanguardtactics.com. Uh, so again, thanks so much, so much guys for having me on and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much, Mr. Box, for that uh, delightful uh, lowdown on the event that you ran and featured in that spiel of course, is something that we, I don't even think I've referred to yet, uh, Pete, which is that we're in a new edition now. Ninth edition, mm -hmm. don't know if you heard yep. of it. What? Say what? So there was a whole imaginary COVID-19 meta that, that existed on Tabletop Simulator and in the uh, living room, I assume, of Nick Natavati's uh, 40K flophouse. I mean, uh, yes. Uh <laughs> the, tra the trap house. Um, so, yeah, so that happened. Eighth edition has, has come and gone. And now we, here we are in ninth. There have been, obviously, there's a lot of um, theory hammer going on because there aren't a lot of tournaments. There isn't a lot of results coming out. So the Vanguard Tactics uh, Grand Series was kind of cool because it did draw out players, certainly, uh, who are very keen to test out what people think is probably going to be good. And I think in this top four and uh, throughout the the whole uh, lineup of, of players, you're going to see what might be the, you know, current idea of what might be good in ninth. So uh, what sort of stuff do we see out there? Yeah. So uh, it's in ninth edition so far has been very, I would say, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, there's a lot of disparate views on what actually works in this edition. And I think that's great. Um, the playtesters, when they first came out, there was a lot of talk about this is a kind of an elite edition um, that heavily favors, you know, units that can live on the board for longer periods of time. Um, vehicles would be, would do very well. And they there was a lot of talk about hordes being dead. I mean, what we've seen since the missions have been released where there is no real kill, kill more aspect to the game any longer. Um, there's kind of this secondary viewpoint come out um, of maybe hordes or some version of hordes um, does still exist because you can win a game without killing any models and you losing models doesn't matter. And I so think that, it's, so, and that whole concept I think has led to the rise of of you know I'd say the boogeyman list right now being high durability, not necessarily big damage output type lists specifically. Uh, you know, Death Guard, Nurgle, as well as our Golden Boy friends, uh, the Adeptus Custodes, both of which appear in the top four. 
Yeah, exactly. So um, if we look at Vanguard uh, Tactics Top 4, you can find them at uh, 40kstats.com slash Vanguard Series if you if you don't want to click on any links. Um, your fourth place list, Matthew Truell, running Harlequins, um, which have seen a big uh, boost in this edition. Their Psychic Awakening was a fantastic, gave them a lot of extra power, um, fueled by CP, which they now have a lot of when they didn't previously. Um, and troop players um, are remarkably durable for for what they do, and they can still put out a decent punch against mm-hmm. elite units. So if you think you're going into an event against a lot of elites, you know, having an army that's full of melta pistols is not a terrible thing. That moves very fast. That all has a four plus invulnerable save. Can get to a three up. They can get to a three up if it needs to. Death jesters have some really neat tricks against um, units, so that you can force uh, morale pulls and cause. Um, formations to just basically fall apart. Skyweavers are good at dealing with vehicles. So, like Matthew Truell's list, it has all of those things. It has star weavers, which we really didn't see in eighth edition. Like I said, players, which were basically non-existent outside of one or two pl- people. Um, and he went five and one. Yeah. Um, and then you look at the third place list, which is what um, I was trying to segue to. But yes. Yeah, <laughs> Adam Shepard Jones, <laughs> Adeptus Custodes. Um, a very unique list. A lot of people talk up uh, Shadow Keepers and uh, Dreadhost. Running Solar Watch. So this is a list. A Solar Watch has a has a, a warlord trait and stratagem that are more based on maneuverability. So he can actually um, be a lot more aggressive, fly up the board a little bit faster with his Virtus Praetors and his Venatari, and grab those objectives and stay on them because of that. You know, four plus invuln, two plus armor save on the majority of his list. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Adam, we'll talk about it a little later, and uh, we'll also get the uh, some info from um, the eventual winner of the of the event. Um, he is the only person to actually beat the first place player, um, and not just only person to beat him. He's really the only person that actually scored any legitimate points against him. Um, so it's it's a very unique uh, setup. Pretty cool with that. Uh, actually, the second place. That, that's a oh, good sorry. good moment just to interject here. We have given a whole lot of flack to uh, UK tournament organizers about running five round tournaments, we and did. and we I did. just I just I need I need to maybe put a little context around that comment. It has a lot to do with uh, like a five hundred person event, uh, like the LGT running five rounds means you have a hundred people who are undefeated at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. When you have thirty, five rounds is just fine. Yep. Yep. I mean. I think we talked about this a little bit near the end of our run um, because we started seeing this a lot in Canada too, where our boys were like, "We're gonna do it, six rounds. I don't care how many people show up." It's better, I and guess, then, for ITC points. Like, I guess that is a reason. Yeah, but still, like, I mean, the the I will say one thing about this: the sixth game in this did uh, have one benefit. When we cover the first place list, I'll go a little more depth. Mm-hmm. Um, second place, we have Alex Petford running a, a Death Guard and Nurgle list. Um, this seems to be like the big bad that a lot of people are worried about. Um, he didn't go as in-depth as some people are talking with like 60 or 70 nerglings where you just sit in the middle of the board and you don't care to kill anything. Seems fun. Uh, um, in that he actually brought plague marines and termite assault drills. Um, so he actually had a counterpunch um, um, that could I- interact with the the opponent. But I mean, he's still running 30 nerglings. He's still got three plague burst crawlers. Um, I mean, those termite assault drills uh, that I believe he ran... Did he run one or two? Of? Looks like I mean, they're one. Tough, they're toughness eight, so like yeah. it's just like another plague burst crawler you have to deal with that actually hits like a thunder hammer. Um, yeah, so this is a list that's once again super durable. 
Um, he has those chaos bonds, so he can get into that middle of the board to help to, uh, keep it kind of clogged up with the Nurglings for a little while, because the the chaos bond with the stratagem that gives them a five plus feel no pain are ridiculous to kill. Um, so very stalwart list. It does have counters, though. Um, it did lose to the eventual winner. Mm-hmm. Um, and that eventual winner... Yes. I mean, everyone loves them. You know them. Alex, stay hydrated, Harrison. Staying hydrated. Staying high on the standings. Finishing first in the uh, in the first real GT of ninth edition. And also running... What? Salamanders. Salamanders. Now, this is not uh, uh, anything. I've heard people, like, basically having to turn their mic off because they were climaxing over white scars. I've heard people <laughs> talking about the, the same old, same old, uh, as far as Space Marines are concerned. Even the boys in blue, Ultramarines have gotten a, a shake on a few podcasts. I have not heard anyone suggest that the Salamanders might have some play. And here's old Alex Harrison running salamanders so tell me what he knows and probably other people know that i don't so alex um when we get to his clips you'll hear like him go a little bit more in depth about why he picked salamanders um but the big thing is the smaller board um with a smaller board you can leverage a number of the salamander abilities that weren't nerfed with the faqs that they received um and that being um they they have that ex that feel no pa- that not feel no pain that um ignore a- ap1 so a lot of uh small arms fire doesn't hurt them you can put a captain on a bike um in that list that is basically invulnerable to strength uh three and below uh damage so that makes them pretty rough to deal with um and aggressors particularly flamestorm aggressors um which i believe goonhammer said no one would ever play um, yeah. actually become viable in this list because if if those Flamestorm Aggressors get a, a second turn on the board, which with reserves and things you can kind of easily accomplish, um, they're coming in in Tactical Doctrine with that Salamander plus one to wound. They're AP one now, and um, he can spend a stratagem to make it so that they act as if they didn't move uh, for Salamanders. And he's also, so they're pumping out like a billion shots. He's also rocking uh, long-range marksman. So he's not yes. he's not using so he's 11 uh, inches. Yeah. Um, he talks that up a little bit when we get to his clip. OK. Um, he's got a land speeder Tempest, which uh, is a nice new little bit of tech. Uh, one of those, you know, how every uh, chapter approved and every new edition, there's always that like one or two Forge World models that go down in points for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so land speeder Tempest, the Relic Contemptor and the Townar are kind of the three for this this go. Uh, Townar by a whole lot. Uh, Lance Peter Tempest by a little bit, but it was enough that um, it, it's a legitimate threat now. Um, anyway, how about we cut it to Alex? Because I think he has a lot of really interesting things to say about the edition, about the event itself. And he does a much better job of explaining like why his list worked the way it does. And, and um, I also asked him about um, just like his devastating wins. Because um, if you look at this event, the reason why I mentioned I'm kind of glad we did six games in this one, or they did six games, mm-hmm. um, is Alex went, and scored perfect scores in four of his first five games um, and had a 95 in the other one. <laughs> so, um, and this is uh, in an edition where a lot of like the playtesters had said, it's going to be very hard to do that. Yes. Um, so Alex kind of explains like how he kind of accomplished that goal. And if you look at who he played, it was definitely not because he was, you know, a, a stomping some brand new players. Uh, he got hundreds against Alec Pet- Alex Petford, who was top nine, I believe, in ITC last year. Mm-hmm. Stephen Box, who we've already had on the show. He's boxy. Um, 
So like he these weren't like Joe Schmoes that he was uh that he was dropping elbows on. No, Joe Schmo couldn't make it. All right. So without further ado, then why will we hand it over to the Velvet Glove himself, the second handsomest man at this tournament, Mr. Alex Harrison. So Salamanders have definitely had a big buff for the new edition. The primary thing we're looking at now is things like terrain, um, allowing you to move models up the board without getting wiped out and utilizing that terrain to your advantage. And of course, the size of the mat as well. So now the mats have become smaller, uh, which I think is great for the game. Uh, it means that your army actually has a chance to play the mission out and get into the mid board and those mid uh, range weapons, anything between 18 to 30 inches, are more impactful. And of course, Salamanders brings uh, a plethora of things like melter guns and flamers to really abuse their trait. And I think that that can abuse that, uh, especially in the mid mid game, uh, midfield of the board. Uh, and I think they're really strong right now. They've got some great stratagems, which we'll go over in a bit, um, to really help. Uh, buff that army even further of course marines are still strong they've received a couple of nerfs at the beginning of the year um, but i think overall salamanders is definitely one of the factions for space marines to look out for um, and be aware of as for my list uh, so overall it was predominantly models that i had lying about in my room uh, i couldn't go home and collect some models i didn't have much chance to play test but i just wanted to try out a few things uh, notably the aggressors now, no one's really taken Flamer Aggressors before, but going back to what I was saying about the board being smaller in terrain, I felt like Aggressors could kind of um, abuse that fact. Uh, they've got the long-range Marksman successor trait, so the Flamers are actually 11-inch range, and they can just run up the board. Uh, the stratagems that really assist this army is things like the plus one to wound stratagem, which really helps the Grav Pod and the Bolter Aggressors. Um, the most and you can use it on the relic scorpius you can use it on anything so it's it's a multi-function uh then you've got these counts as stationary uh so not moving strat which helps the grav devs as well and of course the bolter in, um and the flamer aggressors so you can just move or outflank um and counter stationary then double shoot the aggressors which is really nice uh, you then have another stratagem which allows you to overwatch a friendly uh, help overwatch a friendly unit um, and they will shoot a lot of shots, of course, especially with flamers. And they can then uh, heroically intervene 2d6, which is really nice. And there's a few other little stratagems, which I didn't often use, um, but they're still really valuable. So you've got the self-sacrifice, of course, everyone knows that, but it was nerfed. So I very rarely use that because my units are predominantly three-man. And then there's the get a character back up on a four plus with d3 wounds. And I was predominantly using While We Stand We Fight as a secondary, and two of my characters had that. So to get back up on a 4+, can be pivotal. And I didn't always have the CPs for that. My army uses a lot of CPs throughout, but it's definitely something to be aware of. Um, so yeah, the, the Eradicators as well are fantastic. Everyone knows about them. But again, Salamanders really brings them to life. My army tends to either hit you hard first turn and definitely hits you harder second turn. As soon as you hit that second turn spike, the army really punishes anything midfield. Um, so anything, anyone going towards those objectives are really going to get punished. And the infantry keyword is really important, especially at this tournament where there was lots of ruins. So you can abuse the fact that a lot of my army can walk through walls. Uh, and if I couldn't hide everything, I would just simply outflank some flamer aggressors, especially from turn two with a plus one to wound. They are so strong. Um, 
So yeah, it's just a case of looking at the board uh, and utilizing the army and its uh, its function well. I think is definitely important with the short range that I have. Um, but that's why I've got the long range marksman. And to keep up all the toughness five models uh, alive, I took stealthy uh, just because uh, most of the objectives tend to be out in the open. So it just means they're just that harder to kill. So a few people have asked me about how I got these hundred point scores. Um, you know, and a few people were like, oh, were you playing these bad players? Were they not playing the mission correctly? Well, no, actually some of the guys I played are tournament veterans. They go to a number of events um, throughout the UK and the world. One example, Alex Petford, a great player. He ended up in the, I think it was the top, top 10 last year at the LVO. Uh, so he is a great player. Uh, however, I did get 100 points against him, and he was using a very strong Death Guard army, which is considered to be one of the strongest armies at the moment. Now, I personally do think that the game is a lot harder to get max points on. Um, however, if you are clever with your secondaries, and you play towards them from the get-go, and you think ahead, it's not too bad. I never took a secondary, apart from my last game, where my opponent can really impact it. Uh, for example, things that rely on sitting on an objective or, you know, there's the one like raise your banners where you can, you're, you're telling your opponent where you're scoring your, your secondary is and your opponent can try and react to it. I try and avoid those. Uh, the main ones I usually took was whilst we stand, we fight, which means that I can keep those three models alive uh, for as long as possible and not throw them away. I then usually took either domination, which is an easy one just to move on to three objectives or I would take uh, Engage on All Fronts, which is, as we all know, the old recon uh, mission, where you can simply move units into all four uh, quarters, which is where my army actually uh, excels at. So I have a trick to get turn one, and that's where you get your 15 points, where I can move one of my land speeder Tempests uh, 50 inches with the advance, and that just gets me the recon. And it's quite hard to kill with a minus one to hit. Uh, and then have scouts on the other side or outriders. And I accept that they're probably going to die. But by turn two, the rest of my army either arrives by outflank or is moved into the midboard. So that's a really easy one to get. Uh, the third one is usually dependent on my opponent. I played Admech, uh, for example, and Death Guard. They have uh, a lot of psychers for Death Guard or vehicles for Admech. So I would take Big Game Hunter and then the, I can't remember the name of it, but the one where you kill psychic characters because I have no psychers in my army, which gives me that option. Um, so yeah, you just need to, when you build your list, you need to see how you can stop your opponent getting secondaries by not taking too many vehicles, for example, or characters, and how to get as many points as you can for your own secondaries. Um, and then primary, you, you, you max at 45. So it doesn't really matter when you get those points. You just need to foresee uh, that you do max them. For example, some games I was getting zero on turn one and two, and then 15, three, four, five. So it's... It's just looking ahead. So I, I did actually lose my last game to a, a great player, Adam. Uh, he was playing an interesting Custos list. And to be honest with you, at this point, obviously, I, I already knew I'd won the event. Um, however, not to take anything away from Adam, he played a brilliant game. I made a, a number of mistakes uh, because my head wasn't in the game. And I uh, he capitalized on that. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't really get the mission. I didn't read it properly. I picked a tertiary mission. Um, I think it's like data, something data, where you hold an objective and then you get a point for every other objective you're on. But with the mission that we had, where there was four objectives along the center of the board, it was really difficult for me to push forward and sit on them against a custode army who are really strong and really good at killing 
uh, multi-wound models. Uh, so I struggled with taking him off objectives because, I mean, I'm not going to lie, he was rolling four plus invulnerables like a boss. Uh, so I was not being able to take him off uh, objectives. You know, I was leaving squads with one man here or two man there and a character here on a few wounds. It was it was frustrating, uh, but I did make a number of mistakes. I allowed him a charge to kill one of my, uh, or two of my models giving uh, 10 points up for whilst we stand we fight. Um, and things like recon, I didn't max out because I was just too worried to push too far out. Um, so I played too reserved, I think. But definitely looking back, there was a number of mistakes I made. But Adam played it really well. He counted everything that I did. Uh, he dropped a lot of his models in reserve, which was really good. So I couldn't alpha strike him or beta strike him. So he was able to hit me hard from turn three. And by that point, he he remained in control of the board. Um, a few people asked me as well, like, was going second or first quite impactful? I think if you build your army to go second, it's not that bad. However, I do believe that going first is still impactful because it does give your opponent that board control if their list revolves around it. For example, the Custodes, they do revolve around controlling the board, and so does mine. So going second against him was a bit difficult because I did want to push out uh, and try and control the board a bit more. But props to Adam. He played it really well, and I got trounced. So, but yeah, overall the event went really smoothly. Obviously, with the COVID restrictions, there was uh, there was a lot that we had to consider: wearing masks, um, decontaminating our hands all the time, uh, cleaning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, no touching of terrain, each other's dice. We had uh, our own dice given, our own dice trays. You know, everything was done really well. And massive props to Steve and the gang at Vanguard Tactics. I really hope that they can continue making such an amazing event. Uh, I can't even think of anything bad. I mean, there was no food, which sucked, but there was plenty of places nearby. And I understand due to health and safety reasons, they couldn't do that. But definitely looking forward for at least the events in the UK. I can see this being a pilot scheme, hopefully for, for bigger events in the future. Um, but yeah, for those listening that are from the UK, I definitely rank, recommend going to the next one. It was awesome. Thank you very much, Alex, for those insights on the event. I hope everyone listening enjoyed that. Top player, LVO champion, certainly a finalist in addition to that. Uh, so great to have him on the show again. I'm sure we'll hear from him in the future. Assuming there is a future, let's hit a bump. So dark. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. Tournament News. Hi, I'm Stephen Box from Vanguard Tactics, and you're listening to the one and only 40K Stats Center. Well, all right, Mr. Box. Thanks for leading us into the great down under. We're going to the Adelaide GT from what I am told, quite the representation of modern civilization. Is that not true? I mean, if you were to go by Reddit, um, which asked the question, why is Adelaide so boring? Hmm. You'd be hard pressed to think why. 
which is confusing to me because as a Canadian, there is no part of Australia that strikes me as boring. It seems terrifying and hot at all times. One thing that wasn't boring happening in Adelaide this past weekend, of course, is the uh, very aptly named Adelaide GT. That's right. Australia's first tournament of, uh, of ninth edition. What was going on down under? Well, it was a 42-player event um, held in Adelaide, uh, South Australia, run by Simon the Vicar, Vickers. Um, it was an event that uh, brought on like the kind of core crew of uh, 40K players from Southern Australia. Um, there are people like uh, Gabe Delolo, who um, I don't know if we've had on the show, but we've definitely discussed his Drukhari lists in the past. As, um, he has top four at a number of events mm-hmm. um, in the last couple of years. Um uh, Adam Napier um, helped run the event, and um, he is a, a well-known person in the Australian community. Um, it's a it's a very interesting thing um, because it would not be the place that I would expect like the first uh, you know big event to come out of uh, for ninth edition. But kudos to them. Simon's a, a big fan of the show. I've talked to him several times in the past about yep. uh, about his um, like events, his event plans, and um, just a really joy to talk to, regardless. So super exciting to hear, uh, you know, what they had to put on. Well, why don't we um, give it over to to, to Simon to uh, maybe talk to us a little bit about that South Australian meta uh, from someone who takes it more seriously than two jerks on a podcast. The meta in South Australia is uh, pretty unique. It's quite insulated, and it's it's definitely its own own monster. It's it's super hard to take a net list and just go well with it because. We've got such a different variation of lists, factions. The skews can be crazy from uh, super big knight lists and town Rs, um to uh, you know the the three hundred uh, termagant carpet or, or what have you. Coronavirus was a forefront in our mind, and we followed all the government guidelines, including uh, social distancing, contact tracing. Uh, there was sanitizer everywhere. The guys were pretty well behaved uh, with this one. We had plenty of space, and uh, even the police came around and inspected us, and we got the uh, all clear. They were happy with the precautions that we'd taken. Although I must admit, it is a little bit weird not being able to shake your opponent's hand, but uh, hey, if it means we can keep playing 40k, we'll uh, stick to it. Uh, the whole tournament went really, really well. Everyone came to grips with the rules uh, pretty solidly. We had probably three kind of groups of players. You had your, your top tier players who were shooting for the win. You had your, your middle tier guys who uh, they had pretty competitive lists and uh, and, and strong players, but uh, didn't mind a couple of beers. And then we, we even had a group which were pretty much learning to play 40K because they hadn't played it in, in years and years coming back to it. So it was quite a, a diverse range of players there. And uh, thanks to uh, Peter and Val. You guys are awesome. Love uh, listening to your show. We missed you for a bit, and uh, we're really glad to have you back from the Adelaide GT. Thanks, guys. Oh, thanks, Simon. What a great guy. Um, there's something I did want to talk about here, um, just from Simon's co- uh, comments about um, the, the unique meta that they have in South Australia and the GT um, in question, where like you can't really plan for like a, a, a grand meta because things are so skewed. Um, based on what people bring. Uh-huh. I think that's something very important for literally everyone now, particularly in this kind of new COVID world. Um, if you are a newer player or you're just getting into the competitive scene, um, don't focus on what you think is the best list in the world or what is the best thing um, across the board. Um, focus on what is going on where you are. 
um, because that's what's going to make you successful um, in your particular area. If you have, you know, 18 Death Guard players, two Admech players, and you, and that's it, you, you don't need to know, figure out how to beat, um, you know, Guard if they happen to be currently strong. You know, play to what's in your area because no, no one's traveling right now. Yeah. Um, and that's really how you're going to improve. So it's really good insight from from Simon there and something that I think we really need to to latch on to, particularly now where there's not going to be or there probably won't be any real super majors for, for a while to come. Or even just major majors. I was actually just noticing this is a 42-player uh, event, as you said, off the top. And uh, that's probably going to be about as big as it gets. I know here in Ontario the biggest gathering you can have indoors is 50 people, but you need the space yeah. for it. So I think you're absolutely right. There's a good chance that uh, you'll be able to anticipate literally who's going to be showing up and uh, based on what you know, what they could have um, sort of tailor as need be. Now, that all being said, uh, we had the Vanguard Tactics Grand Series as our first uh, first tournament that we covered. And as we mentioned, did seem to be quite representative of that internet meta, that uh, what everyone thinks is good type lists. And GT little bit more spice in their lives down there we've uh, we've got some interesting finalists yeah for sure so um uh, one thing uh, that uh, simon kind of uh, brought up in talks with me um the top table featured um an orc buggy list which we'll get into pretty in depth in a minute um versus renegade knights um uh, and knights uh, both renegade and imperial have kind of been shot down as um as possible competitive lists uh, these days, particularly pure knights. Um, they don't benefit very well from most of the terrain rules. You need to be on a bunch of objectives, as we kind of talked about uh, with Vanguard Tactics um, and what uh, Alex had mentioned and, and uh, others to a degree. Um, so this concept of you know, you know, being able to stick around is, is very hard for knights. Um, so to have one make it to the finals, you know, hit that T-whip, as it were, mm -hmm. um, really exciting coming out of this event. Um, and if you look at the other uh, top four finishers, um, we had Space Wolves. So I'm. do you think this is crazy Space Wolves? Do you think this is everything OPSEC Space Wolves? Um, yes. So from what I understand in, in, uh, in my little talk with Simon, they did go with the, with the FAQ as written. So everything in this was obsec for this event. Um, so that makes it three times as terrifying as it already is because, yeah, um, I, I was just gonna, um, I was just gonna say that in this list though, it doesn't go full hog on it. I suspect the rule will be infantry models are obsec. Uh, so his Wolfen that he's got here would be upset, but he only brought two impulsors. So he's not really, yep. really taking advantage of that ruling right now. No, for sure not. I mean, this is kind of what you kind of saw from um, an eighth edition uh, Space Wolf attempt um, and near the end, with the exception of the addition of those Assault Intercessors, which are fantastic, especially as uh, Space Wolves or um or white scars for that matter because of like the extra damage they can put out um once they get to that assault phase they've got that impulsor protection um and wolfen are are always deadly um anything that can hit that hard with a storm shield even though they're so expensive if they get into your units they do a lot of damage ragnar black means a killer so pretty spicy list the fact that everything in that list had obsec probably helped for sure mm -hmm. um if we look at third place gabe delolio um, running Cabal of the Blackheart and um, mixed uh, homunculi, the Dark Technomancers and Masters of Mutagens. This is kind of what I've seen a lot of people talking about as like the Drukhari list, where you kind of do Venom spam, but inside the Venoms you put Racks now instead of Cabalite Warriors because right. Racks are harder to kill. Also, Cabalite Warriors, LOL. 
so expensive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so the racks add that extra, like, you're not going to kill me. I can sit on this objective. And then you have your Cabal of the Black Heart for the, the Vect. That's quick, really all you're using it for. Quick question from the floor here, Pete. What the hell's with Reapers these days? I mean, it's it didn't go up that much in points. It shoots things. All right. But is it I'm not, not Archon is it not Skari? A, okay. Well, I'm just saying. I've seen it around <laughs> the like weirdo yeah. Drakari guy in my chat. It's all about the Reapers. And I'm just like, cool, I guess. And for everyone playing at home, just a random Forge World model. That's not a Tantalus. Uh, I think that's the only other, <laughs> other Forge World option they might have left. Yep, yep. I mean, it, it does work, and at 150 points, it's it's probably a steal for what uh, Drukhari also have available to them. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, it, it's, a, it's a good list. Uh, like I said, we've had... I don't know if we actually had Gabe. I believe he was one of the people that we couldn't get clips from, um, but he's definitely won events in the past, um and and it's with these style of lists except now he's gone more into the you know um survivability versus out, uh, damage output mm -hmm. um and then rounding out that top 4 Tyson Whitelaw playing Ultramarine successors um with the uh, Master Artisans Long Range Marshman this is a list that's kind of uh, a mobile gunline um he's got a lot of dreadnoughts he's got a relic leviathan still scary um, Ultramarines, not sure if that's the best way to play it. I think White Scar's Relic Leviathans are super cute and hilarious because they can advance and shoot all their w weapons as assault, um, now, which if, is pretty funny. If I'm not mistaken, though, I mean, this is a named um, successor chapter, the Myrmidons. So uh, per perhaps, yeah, is think, that a real I thing? Think, no, there's no special character. So, so then this um, guy this, this guy definitely uh, just loves his, just, his chapter. Just loves his chapter. And you know what? If you can go four and one at a GT and you love yourself that much, go for it, man. It's not like he took bad things. No, um, it's, not it's a pretty solid list. Um, it's got aggressors, Relic Contemptor with the twin Laz Cannon and Cyclone Missile Launcher. I brought up earlier, like that's a, a unit that went down in points in Forge World despite having seen top table play in eighth edition near the end. Um, so, like, of course, people are going to look at that th uh, things like that and say, well, you know, if everything went up in points and this thing didn't, it's probably good. Um, so pretty cute. Um, and then, of course, the first place player who I, I kind of mentioned passing. Speaking of cute. This is that definitely it. Um, so if you remember LVO, um, we followed a fellow who ran a full buggy list. Mm -hmm. And I was so sad that his like first matchup was against Imperial Fists. Didn't go so because well. Because... Because in 8th edition, that was like the worst thing he could have seen. Um, but now in ninth, buggies are a legitimate threat. They didn't go up a whole bunch in points. I think mm -hmm. some of them stayed the same. And they um, like they sit on objectives well. They're super fast. And they can put out decent damage. So it, it is possibly the way to do things now for orcs. Um, is to just run all the buggies you can fit. All the boogie woogie chugger wuggas and the mega track, whatever they call them, just go balls deep. I mean, he's, he he did he did avoid whatever the 40k version of the snotling pump wagon is. Uh, doesn't yeah. have one of those. He doesn't. He's got ten war bikers, hilarious. Um, but two two bone breakers, which I love. I think bone breaker uh, um, battle wagons are pretty sweet. They're the ones with the big flail things on the front. Yep. Um, also running that very popular Burna Bomber from uh, from the uh, Psychic Awakening, so they can auto blow it up. So he's got some cool things in here. Yeah, um, no, um, Andy Damage Pen. He has his own nickname. We didn't have to create one for him. Um, 
he definitely loves his orcs and he, he knows them pretty well. Um, we did get to interview him and he has a lot to say about this list. Um, in fact, he goes pretty in depth on everything in it. So maybe we should just let him do the talking and then we can fill in the blanks. You know what? That's a way better idea. I just got excited because I know what these units are. <laughs> Over to Andy. Long time listener, first time caller. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Let me introduce myself. My name is Damage, and I'm addicted to plastic crack. I won all five of my games over the weekend uh, with my Death Scales Outrider list. So the way the list works is the two bone breakers go up the middle of the board or a flank, crash into the enemy's front lines. Um, first turn. First turn charge every time with the Death Killer War Trike egging them on. And the Burner Bomber just crashes into the enemy's castle, just dealing out free wounds. Um, yeah, you'll see that in every walk list now. There's just no way um, people won't use that. It's incredible. And then all the buggies charge forward, capture the midfield, grab as many ejectors as they can, shoot all their rockets at anything that's not in cover, shoot all their small arms at the griblies, um, and then they have to come at me. And the war boss uh, heads up midfield with the buggies. Just here's the counter assault champion of champions. Six attacks, flat free wounds. Um, it's just so good. Uh, I, I think he brought down like three war dogs in my last game in, in free turns. He was incredible. Um, and the bikes mostly hold the backfield, they'll just sit on an objective. Um, when needed, they'll go out, help somewhere else. A wounded buggy will come back and sit on my backfield objective. You know, it's a it's a fast, fast army. It's really good. And being Death Skulls, that re-roll once per unit, um, super valuable. Where I think my buggy was just going to fail is when fast-moving uh, Space Marine chapters, like White Scars, Space Wolves, Blood Angels... Um, start understanding they've got to have the midfield to win the game. Um, we'll put my poor buggies with to shame. All of my games were hard fought um, versus the a grade A South Australian players. I played in table one the entire time. Um, it was brilliant to face such skilled opponents, you know, at every turn. The best game was against the Space Wolves. It was clearly the hardest because it was like almost 30 woven in that army and black mane and the only way I could deal with it was bait the woven with a unit, wait for him to bite shoot a million of the rockets from my scrap jets at him and then charge with the scrap jets and just pray that I got all the mortal wounds before I had to fight them in close combat. In the game where the space walls I had all the scrap jets just cruise around as a pack just picking on one unit of woven at a time delete it try to get to the next one without suffering too many losses um, that game they were the standout units for sure while everything else had just threw under the bus um, it was really cool to like bait space wolves out with just units they had to kill put on objectives that they had to take and then the scrap jets would just do all of the heavy lifting. If I really had to change something in the list, the Boomjacker Snazwagon, uh, which is really cool to say, 
um, would go, um, as so would the um, custom booster blaster. Um, more um, jump dragsters would be perfect to be able to jump in the back lines, grab that recon um, secondary objective, what they call now, engage on all fronts. Um, things like that and the secondaries were the thing that really helped um, push my score up engaging on all fronts um, I always took um, killing more than the opponent um, was very handy in a lot of cases um, and usually you know a third one that you get to go oh yeah clearly I'm going to kill the monsters or clearly I'm going to kill the psychers um, 9th edition is looking really really good tactical edition um, holding multiple objectives um, and not just shooting from the castle to win your games makes a game super tactical um, and the secondary objectives being a lot harder to get as well fast fast moving hard hitting armies are going to do very well um, as my list proved um, over the weekend um, I can see Orcs being a mid-tier army again, um, this edition, but that doesn't disappoint me. I like to play on Hardcore. When your nickname is Damage, and it seems like you may have given it to yourself, you better bet your balls that you like to play on Hardcore. Thank you, Andy, for repping the Orcs and winning. Also, shout out Rich Kilton, won a GT in the end of 8th edition out in Utah. But this is about Andy, and Andy kicks butt, and this reminds me why I really love this show. We get to meet really cool players like that. Pete, anything left to say about the Adelaide GT? I just want to say, like, Andy Penn is an absolute peach. Um, and something that Simon Vickers uh, mentioned to me um, was that Andy, um, in the course of this event, never stopped drinking. Um, he believed that the, the man had at least one beer for every round he played. Um, uh, sorry, turn he played, not round. Yes. Um, in this okay. in this event, so apparently, apparently the damage is to his liver. Yeah, yeah, or his brain. I don't know, but it's still the guy loves to play on hardcore mode, and like you can't not respect that. Tournament news. Hey guys, this is John Lennon, Daniel Smith, and Jimmy Prescott with Florida Man Forty K and Team Brohammer, and you're listening to Forty K Stat Center. Power, 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 power. Yeah, it's the best. How did I miss that song? Uh, you know, it's so great to hear. I don't know why. They've only ever played it like once. It was, their, it was like the best thing they've ever done on, on Florida Man 40K. And, yeah, literally, uh, the, probably the only thing they've done. I think they only release like one episode every fortnight. <laughs> and, you know, you can all Google what a fortnight is while we wrap up the show. And it's not the video game. It's not the video game. Um, I am so old and such a dad. That didn't even occur to me. Okay, so uh, before we wrap everything up, I think we have a quick hitter. Um, yeah, for sure. We had the boardroom brawl that took place um, in lovely British Columbia. British Columbia. 30, yeah, 30-player 30 GT, 1,750 points, because, of course, they had to be difficult. I'm sure there's a story there somehow. Uh, probably not. It's uh, it's an event uh, we've interviewed the TO before. Scott, I believe it's uh, was still Scott De Winter, Scott De Winter Vilke. Oh yes, um, De Winter Vilke. 
Yeah, he. Uh, it's a, a well-known event. They run every year. Um, they're particularly known for their very unique terrain setups. They have these very like elaborate uh, uh, boards that have giant grand canyons within them and mm. all sorts of, of, of things that really change the way the game plays. Um, but it was won by um, a person we've had on the show before. Big um, fan of quick big, hitters. Big, big fan of quick hitters. Uh, Matthew Bodnarchuk, better known as the Bod, the Bod, um, who won with Harlequins. He beat his podcast partner in shame, uh, George Thompson, running uh, the obviously properly costed Townar um, in the finale. And so, if if, if you want to hear uh, Bodnarchuk um, uh, be salty about winning against that uh, undercosted Townar, uh, you can tune in to our friends over at 40K Today. Uh, they actually did a very 40K Stat Center style interview with the Bod himself immediately post game. Uh, they had an on the ground correspondent there, so check that out. I believe it was Tuesday's episode uh, from this week. Yeah, it's very excellent. Very well done, guys. Way to keep up the work while we were gone. Absolutely, because, you know, how do you do a daily 40K podcast? I don't know. I can barely do a semi-annual 40K podcast at this point. <laughs> All right, well, I think we've done it, Pete. Yeah, that's it. Reese wanted us to talk about something, so we're still allowed to be on the network. Oh, yeah, there's a there's a really cool contest going on right now where they're giving away some sort of a shopping spree to anyone who's not from Canada. Uh, it's going to be really awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah. and, uh, as mentioned earlier, the safe word is banana. So swing on over to 40 K prizes.com. That's 40 K prizes.com where you have three days left as of today. So probably so, less than that now, probably like two days even. Yeah. Um, I believe it'll be all done on, um, eight, seven, uh, two, zero, two, zero. That's the 7th of August for all of you non dicks out there. Ooh. Ooh. Low blow, Pete. Low blow. Sensitive topic, apparently, how you list uh, the, the uh, day, month, year, or identify August versus July is a contentious issue on the internet. However, if you ever want to generate buzz for something you're posting to competitive 40K, make a very simple mistake in the post. You're going to get a lot of comments. Whatever works, bud. Apparently that did. So thank you to everyone who who's listened so far. I hope you enjoyed our return to form uh, episode. If you're keen to share your thoughts, please swing on by. Uh, we usually get some good comments going on YouTube. You can check out our uh, Facebook page, 40K Stat Center, uh, and uh, get in on the conversation there where, uh, where I'm always happy to argue with you on the internet. Bye-bye. This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. BCP.